running a school in a time of Taliban, it was some, it was not something about you, it was about other, because it wasn't any benefit for me, no money, no financial support, just risk. Women in settings of violent conflict are often thought of as passive victims, but in reality, women are very active. They're teachers, aid workers, peace builders, political activists, and sometimes even combatants with militias and violent extremist organizations. Women and the roles they play mirror the complexities of conflict. I'm Jillian Foster, and you're listening to the Women in Conflict podcast, stories directly from women living in conflict. This episode is brought to you by UN Women, the UN entity for gender equality and the empowerment of women. In this episode, we hear from a woman who refuses to back down, even when it puts her in real danger. Soraya Paksad has lived in Afghanistan through the country's multiple waves of violence, the Soviet invasion, the rise of the Taliban, the United States occupation, and the brewing chaos today. Through it all, she started a school, a network of domestic violence shelters, and became a very public women's rights activist in a country where doing so presents a genuine threat to one's physical safety. Soraya is forced to be very cautious when it comes to her security. We spoke in the city of Herat in southern Afghanistan at night in her home. Meeting her that evening required a number of phone calls between her security guard and my driver, a winding drive through the edges of the city, and a quick jump out of the car into safety behind the compound walls of her home. Together we sat for tea and chocolates while she shared about her life. Soraya was born in Herat as one of 15 children to a father conscious of the need to protect his children. My dad was really, really a different guy. He was, on, on, at the time that there was no parents meeting, he came once a week. He keep coming once a week because in, in one school where I was studying, we were four sisters. He came once a week and just go to the, to the office. We, was, we were watching him just suddenly without knowing that, oh, that's my dad, why is he here? And then he went direct to the, to the office. And we didn't know what, what, what was the discussion. Mm-hmm. Even today, I don't know what was the discussion. Oh. And sometimes even on the way, we, we walking because our school was quite far from our home. Uh-huh. We have to walk, me and my sister have to walk like for 30 minutes every day uh-huh. in the morning and 30 minutes coming back. Because children are not going that fast, you know, we're just playing and then go. <laughs> so, and then at the mid, middle of the way, and then we find our dad is there. You know, and I remember some some days I was really, really, uh, you know, the weather was not good, you know, because you cannot breathe very well under the burqa. And sometimes I, I open my, my burqa and just walk like this, you know. And then my dad said, take off your burqa. And he just in my bag, oh my God, how he came, where he came, yeah. when he came. And then he was watching that we should not open our burqa may somebody cross and see us and then he will be in trouble so any day I was walking I was had difficulty breathing I tried to open it and then I feel my dad is in my back but he wasn't there once a week or once in a 10 days or a month but the fear was every day with me having eight daughters eight son seven son and living in a very very you know untrustable you know, situation yeah. and unpredictable situation that you never know what's happening and you cannot stop anything. 
for, for, for a dad, it was really, really hard. I wish he was alive now. He passed away four years ago. I wish he was alive and he was young enough to write a book about the things that he did. My mom was a great woman as well. She wasn't that educated. She was in a you know, low level, like up to secondary school, because she married the same age like me. She was, she married at a very young age, and then she was not able to continue because she made seven children in, yeah. in a seven years. She wasn't that educated, but she was very, very talented woman. Whenever I do some good things, I, I feel I got more from my, 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 my mom. She was very good mom. She was very friend to all of us. I remember is that every night she gave us a story. And I remember we were sleeping all together in one, one, one big bed, mm -hmm. uh, the outside of the, the, the room in an a open uh, area. So everybody has its own little bed. And then he was talking to all of us till, till we sleep. So nice story, and all the story was about you know I still remember the story was about the good girls, about the bad girls, mm -hmm. and in the end the good girls received lots of benefits, lots of good things because of the good work that she did, <laughs> and the bad girls she didn't get anything. So at the end she lose everything because she was not you know, doing good things, she was not listening to the to the other, and she was not honest and this and that. Saraya moved to Kabul, the capital city of Afghanistan, for university, and by the time she graduated, the Taliban had seized control of the country. Even though the Taliban banned girls' education, Saraya started an underground school in her home. We, we just start with in a very, very small number because Lea was afraid from um, Taliban to find out we are running a school. So we start with one class. We had 25 children, two of my daughters were included to them, and then um, later on we received lots of calls from families and lots of family came and the demand has gone very high. Mm -hmm. Then I met two shifts, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And then later on I saw still demand is going high and I don't have the capacity. I had only three small, uh, three bedrooms in a small apartment, and then I was allocated one room for this um, program for, for school. And then um, I went to my friends, and I told them, look, guys, we educated by someone. We had a teacher. We had better life than these uh, girls. And they're going to be without education, and they will forever lose the chance of uh, be, a, be educated girls. Let's do some things for them. We don't need to have like you know um, very high level skill. Just teaching skill which all of us have. And then everybody said, yes, I can have one class in my home. And at the end of the day, we had 300 girls enrolled in our schools in 10 different locations. And I was 25, 20. Um, sex that time so we were very young but we had the the knowledge right. we had the you know, because we were educated in in a, in a much better um, you know situation than even today education because right. we didn't have computer but we had lots of attention right. we had the environment that everybody pay attention for their class and, and things so we just transfer our knowledge to to, to the girls, just continue because there was no nothing for the children, not only for children, even for women. Mm -hmm. Everything were, you know, um, it was announced illegal by the mm -hmm. by the Taliban. No school, no women, uh, even walking on the street was something, you know, very very risky. Saraya's schools were held in secret throughout the neighborhood, 
extra precautions were taken to ensure safety under the invasive eye of the Taliban. Most of our children were, were very close neighbors um, and where our class were, were uh, located. And our schools were not a school, it was our homes. Like my home, my neighbors were camp. But of course, Taliban were watching us. Um, most of the time it's happened that um, we heard about uh, that they are hired someone to watch the girls who is coming to this house, why this number of girls every day coming in this time, even though we, train, we, we trained our girls and we taught them to tell, if someone asks you, tell them that it's my friend's house, I'm just going to have, we have some you know, children gathering or some yeah. stuff. And we never ask them to bring books and, and take out the books. We keep their books inside the, the, the house. They were very low profile because we knew that if they come in, and if they prove we are involved with education program, which they were announcing it is not legal, uh, they will punish us. They will put us in jail. They will, you know, beat our husband or even they will beat us. So let's uh, build a traditional oven in each house and be ready for in case if Taliban enter to the house, put all education material in the oven and just burn it. Yeah. Do not leave any paper, any document, any things to prove that you are involved with the education program. If they could not find anything, they never punished anyone. So uh, we thought that's the only way, and it's happened. In two of our school, they entered to the, to the house. They were about to ask the, the owner of the house what's going on here. And then the children and the teacher, or you know, they did a great job and put everything in the, in, in the oven and then burn it. Let's yeah. pretend that we are cooking some things, we, 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 we back food, yeah. bread or stuff. So, but they searched the room for books, but they couldn't find anything. So it was not easy, it was quite difficult, but I don't know how, how, how courage we were at that time to go against the rule and regulation of yeah. Taliban. <laughs> I think when you are really deprived, deprived from your rights, when you know someone blocks all your way and then you will find that carriage. What started as underground schools during the Taliban grew into Voice of Women, an organization that provides legal aid to those escaping child marriage and shelter for survivors of domestic violence. Following regime change in 2001, Soraya's work became increasingly public and her security increasingly precarious. There was many time that um, I went through really, really difficult situation, uh, being in a very high, high risk and receiving death threats, messages, um, you know, being in a difficult situation and being, you know, helpless by yourself. That because you see, I am alone. I cannot do anything. But only one, one time. It was a year, a few years ago. Um, I was in this house. Um, uh, actually, I was in the office in the morning time. Someone called me and said that uh, you receive a girls in this time and this t day in your shelter, in your safe house. <coughs> My advice to you is just send her to this location by this time. Um, and then I said, that's not my job. She came voluntarily and she must go voluntarily. We cannot push the, her. And he said, you can because um, I know where you are right now. I know you are in this number of car, and uh, I know which number of car this morning you 
you went out from your home, what time it was, the dress of my son, he gave me all the information, which type, which color of uh, my son's dress was, what time he was get off from the car, what time he went to school. And he said that I know and I watch you in each each of your step. I know how many times you are shaking hands with foreigners. So um, by giving this information, um, I'm, I urge you to send the girls to this location. Otherwise, anything's happening, it's you. It's not my responsibility. I just said, and I'm not going to repeat it again. I was really, really scared because the information was exactly correct. The color, the time and everything. The car, the street I was crossing. And then um, I turned off the phone and I was so disappointed. I was so, so mentally disturbed. And then I came home. I was not able to work anything. So I was really stuck. You know, my mind was just, just stuck. I was not even able to think, to say something. My children said, what's happened? I said, I, I have a bad headache. Uh, I got some medicine, and then I tried to be relaxed. And then um, I was thinking, what, what should I do, whom I should talk? And my phone was off. At 11 o'clock, I turned on my phone um, because I was thinking that I should call someone, a friend of mine, and tell their story. The moment that I f turned off my phone, he called me again. I was put his number like question mark. Mm -hmm. He called me and then I didn't pick up the phone because I was afraid to, if I get more information, I will just, just you know, something will happen, I will, I will die. And then he texted me, immediately texted me. He said, pick off, pick off the phone. I know you are awake because the light of your room is on. I was oh upstairs, I was upstairs in that corner. And then, um, oh my God, I was thinking that he's just in the basement. I was hearing the, the, the beep, of, beep of my, my heart. And I was thinking he's in the back of this window. Maybe he's here, he's there. And then I was closing all the door and come down and make sure that all the doors are closed. You were here alone? No, my husband was sleeping. Oh. It was 11 o'clock at the mid midnight and my sons are, were sleeping too. I was not sleep because I couldn't sleep because I, my mind was, was thinking about the, the threats that I got yeah. the day. Again, I turned off the phone and then I was walking all the way. I don't know, maybe I got like 20 glass of water from that time to morning. You know, to my, my, my tongue and throat was like dry because of the stress and I had to drink water. water. And then in the early morning, 8 o'clock, I went to the office. I wear the burqa, uh, and I didn't take my car. I went to the street and then got a car, and then got a taxi, and then went to the, to the office. And then the U.S. ambassador was here. He was an Afghan. Actually, the U.S. embassy was was that time about to build their building here. Mm -hmm. And he was very, very friend of women's activists, and he was... Uh, he was talking in uh, Iranian uh, language, Farsi. And then in the early morning, I called him, and he was so nice, and he was so kind, and came to my office. And I asked him, what is your advice? What should I do? He said, go to the police, to the head of police, and he's a very close friend of mine. Tell him this story. He will definitely help you. And I take an appointment, and I went to um, him, and then he said, you are a great woman, and this and that, and your work is really, really important work. 
but I'm sorry, we don't have enough soldier. What do you want, actually? I said, one soldier for one month, yeah. one only one soldier during the night. During the day, I can just go different roads, you know, wear work. Yeah. But during the night, I need some place to sleep and then free of, of yeah. tension or, or stress. So I said, uh, I know that, I acknowledge that, and I know that I feel that you need it, but sorry, we do, I have only 40 soldiers for the whole city, yeah. so I don't have it. Yeah. And he said, take, hire someone, we are, we are family, friends, or anything, pay the salary for them, we will train him and give him again. Yeah. How many days he needs to train? I need tonight. Yeah. If you train, at least the training is for two, three months yeah. to train how to have a gun, how to be. So yeah. I need tonight. It's an urgency case. You should help me. I said, I'm sorry, we don't have soldiers and this and that. And it was a time that I got information that 28 soldiers are with one mullah, one religious leader. He's not a government official. He's just religious leaders. Yeah. And 28 soldiers are staying around his house. And I was really getting disappointed because um, I'm supporting government, I'm supporting the community, I'm saving lives of the other. No one saved my life. Yeah. No one is here to help me. So that was the time that I was thinking I really should quit. And then I said, it's enough, so I offer you. Don't put the life of your children at risk and yourself at risk. Um, go somewhere and from there leave your organization. And that was another another fight mm. with this ideology, with this idea, and with my body, mm. with my mind. It was just a logic that you are at risk, you don't have support, you have to be away for a while. But my, my mind didn't believe it because my mind and my heart was something not, not, not thinking about any logic. Yeah. My mind thinking about, look at Surayo. Who did push you to be an activist? Mm. Who asked you to be an activist? Mm. It's all you. Yeah. How you can stop yourself? Because <laughs> that was you and, and today is you. Yeah. It was just a fight. I was not convinced myself. Even I was by myself, just me. I decided that Soraya, be away for a while. Go to some other country and do your master's degree. Mm. And then watch your office from, from far away. It is good for your health. It is good for your stress that you have. Yeah. It's good for your safety. It is good for everything. But, and one day I went to the shelter and I see a number of children are coming and hacked me. Oh. Because our girls are just children. Mm -hmm. They are women run away by their children and their age, you know. Mm -hmm. Like 12 years old girls married. She came for divorce. 13 years old, 15, 14. Mm -hmm. Even nine, and then most of them, all of them called me mom. So when I saw them, immediately I stopped even thinking about that, yeah. that idea to quit. And then I said, no, I will be here, but I will, I will do my best, uh, you know, to to be low profile. Right. We have a gun in case something's happen. I have a very, very ordinary car. Um, I use different cars, mm -hmm. all office cars. There is no boss car in the office. Yeah. I can go to any car. Mm -hmm. No one knows a car for me. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that I use. That's always simple protection mechanism, not going the same different roads, the same different time. Mm -hmm. um, try to be very low profile. Yeah. 
As Soraya reflected on the interconnected nature of risk and impact as a women's rights activist in Afghanistan, I couldn't help but feel inspired by her dedication and tenacity. You know, it's, it's not easy. It's not a kind of job that you just close your, shut down your computer and close the door of your um, office and then you come to home, you start your own life, you know, your, your private life. You carry the pain, you carry the stress, you carry the, the, the tears of the eyes of the girls who see them during the day, mm -hmm. suffering from violence, running away or, you know, during the counseling. Running a school in a time of Taliban, it was, some, it was not something about you, it was about other, because it wasn't any benefit for me. No money, no financial support, just risk. Even when, when you take some things, when you do some job, like today I do, I receive a salary from my office, I, receive, I get lots of dignity and reputation because of the work that I do. And then I see the risk, you know? This is a risk, this is the good things. But at that time, there was all, all risk. There was no balance. So why I took that, why I, why I take the risk on that time, because of, I was thinking how I should be helpful for the other. So when I go to the bed every night, then I put my head on, on the pillow, and then I'm thinking, oh my God. What did I do today? How helpful I was today for, for, for some other people. And then finally I think, oh, thank you God for giving me that, that strength, that, that capacity, the talent and the courage, the motivation that I'm not doing something only for myself, for my family. I'm helping other women as well. The 400 family that who are working for Wise of Women is also getting benefit from that. The neighbor that we receive food, uh, the, the shopkeepers that we receive food, the houses that we rented for our facilities, the cars that we are paying, or lease them or rented them, all people are getting um, benefit from my project, that at least I can count thousand people. So and thank you God that you helped me to help thousand other people. And always I'm asking, please help that thousand to help another thousand people. So it's some things that uh, give you good feeling at the night. You don't need to have wine. <laughs> you don't need to have uh, depression medicine. <laughs> you don't need anything. You just can go to the bed and relax and say, thank you, Th thank you yourself, and then thank you God for the for the strength, for the for the energy, for the for the you know for the for the wisdom, for the for the belief that you have for your work, because so many things you have to have to, 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 to go ahead. A lot of people might have quit, but Soraya keeps going. You can find out more about what she does and her organization, Voice of Women, at vwo.org.af. This episode was edited by Jason Bro. Tara Dillon is our production assistant. Rebecca Reeve is our research assistant. Maggie Lemire is our consulting producer and Isaac Kestenbaum is our executive producer. Our theme song is XXV by Broke for Free. I'm Jillian Foster, the founder and creator of the Women in Conflict Project. To hear more stories or to learn about the project, visit womenincconflict.org.
This episode was supported in part by UN Women, the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and the Empowerment of Women. 